Julie Ryan, noted psychic and medical intuitive, is ready to answer your personal questions, even those you never knew you could ask. For more than 25 years, as she developed and refined her intuitive skills, Julie used her knowledge as a successful inventor and businesswoman to help others. Now, she wants to help you to grow, heal, and get the answers you've been longing to hear. Do you have a question for someone who's transitioned? Do you have a medical issue? What about your pet's health or behavior? Perhaps you have a loved one who's close to death and you'd like to know what's happening. Are you on the path to fulfill your life's purpose? No matter where you are in the world, take a journey to the other side and ask Julie Ryan. Hi, everybody. Happy Halloween. Boy, do I have a special show planned for you today. We are going to be talking with a gal who's a paranormal researcher in San Diego. Her name is Nicole Strickland, and she started a society there, and she researches paranormal phenomena from all over the world. So as you know, I have lots of questions always, but I really have a bunch of them for her. So I want to find out what's the difference between a spirit and a ghost, in her opinion, what are their research methodologies? Of course, I want to hear about some of the cases on which she's worked and lots of other questions that go along the lines of what's really happening and does she believe in an afterlife? I guess she does if she's doing this research. So it should be really fun to talk to her. Remember to like and subscribe, share this with your friends and family and leave a comment. I love to hear what you think about our conversation and the show and, and all of those goodies. So let's talk to Nicole and see what she has to tell us. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us today, Nicole. I'm really excited to talk with you and I'm really excited that this worked out, that we're going to release this on Halloween. How good is that as far as That's synchronicity goes? There you go. I was just going to say synchronicity, great minds think alike. Thank you so much, Julie, for having me on today. So perfect timing, oh, right? <laughs> I know. I, when I, when we were emailing back and forth and I was, we always release our, our interview shows on Tuesdays and I thought, oh, and Halloween's on Tuesday this year. So perfect. Perfect. Oh, no coincidences in life. Absolutely. Right. All right. Let's just get into it. I have so many questions for you. This is going to be fun. Oh, boy. <laughs> are, are spirits and ghosts real? Oh, my gosh. Oh, this question. This question's been asked, I don't know how many times, but yes, in it, yes, I do believe they are real. Real, absolutely. Now, if you want a longer response of, okay, there's, you know, ghosts and spirits, earthbounds, also known as ghosts and spirits. And then, of course, with residual type of energy. When I do my classes or presentations, I like to describe it as almost like a psychic slash emotional imprint on the environment. So it's not technically an intelligence or an intelligent earthbound or spirit per se, but it's a heightened sense of emotion that is imprinted on an environment uh, due to uh, like a violent death, for example, due to um, any sort of heightened sort of emotion. So I like to tell people like, for example, Gettysburg Battlefield, let's assuming you're going there and you're not seeing a reenactment there. You're just there for the day. There's no reenactment and you hear a phantom cannon. 
blasting off in the distance and you ask the people around, there's no documentation for it, that could be classified as a residual type of imprint. But getting toward intelligent energies, whether it's an earthbound or spirit, absolutely. And I've encountered many of them throughout my life. So Interesting about the imprint, because actually a chapter in my Angelic Attendance book, I talk about that I'm in a building and there what it was a makeshift morgue. Mm. And it was before the turn of the 20th century. Right. And there had been a train wreck. And people, a lot of the spirits were dressed in their Sunday best. And then there were spirits there that were dressed in overalls with shovels and picks and things like that. And I was able to communicate with those spirits and get all kinds of interesting information from them, much of which we were able to corroborate with historic online information. That's phenomenal. And you said history. So I, and I've even said this in my books, you know, history and the paranormal are best friends with the dear kinship. You really can't have one without the other. So it's fascinating to have all these different layers of, of energies from different time periods and different cultures and you can communicate and, and contact them. It's, it's just utterly fascinating. That's what I see too in my mind's eye, Nicole, when I do pet what I call past life scans. Mm -hmm. I'll get where it was, when it was. I'll be able to communicate with the person's spirit when they were living in that past life. Right. And it's fascinating again, the information that we can corroborate with historic Absolutely. Absolutely. documents that are out there. So is it kind of like when there's an archaeological dig and they'll see that there was a city and then they dig further and then there was another older city beneath it and then another older city beneath that that thought is just coming into my head almost like it's layers of yes. history on top of one another absolutely and it's one of those reasons why paranormal researchers paranormal investigators we need to there's all these facets that we need to look at we need to really examine you know the various historical layers looking into how genealogy may play into it or the environment, certain types of geology like limestone or quartz, for example, even archaeology, you know, finding certain um, bits and pieces of buildings or, or whatnot can really help to tell a story of what's going on. So that's what I try to do in my research is look at all those angles and see if we can fit the puzzles together. So. How do... How so? I'm going off and going down a rabbit hole here oh, sure. for a second, based on some, <laughs> something that you just mentioned, and that is limestone, quartz, marble, those different kinds, slate, those different yeah. kinds of stones. What does that depict, or what what kind of information does that give you? I don't think we act absolutely from a science perspective can really explain how the properties in limestone or quartz or certain types of um, uh, gems or crystals can can do this, but they're thought to retain and, uh, I guess, receive, well, retain, but also spread a spiritual type of energy. So almost being like a transmitter and a receiver of different types of energies. So, I mean, you can get into uh, some of the properties. And again, science, I don't think can really completely understand it because there may be some sort of metaphysical component there too. But uh, it is said that these types of uh, stones can 
really be almost like a capacitor for spirits to manifest and to communicate. And an example of this is is the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado, and of course other places as well. But it's thought that it sits on this piezoelectric sort of uh, property where you have these this limestone and you have this uh, quartz and and whatnot. And it's said to that some of the the uh, uh, experiences that people have are actual residual types of snapshots from its historical heyday. So it goes back into, for a science perspective, the electrical types of properties of certain uh, stones or, or crystals or rock that can really help us out when we communicate with energy. So it's something that I, I would love to learn more on because I think there's a lot more there that we haven't uncovered. Well, obviously metals too. Metals, absolutely. What's what's coming to mind is my son, Jonathan's best friend, bought his wife's engagement ring Mm. in in like one of those uh, Facebook markets, neighborhood market kind of a thing. Right, right. And, And got a great deal on it. And so he brought it to me to clear out the energy of the previous owner before he gave it to his his girlfriend, you know, soon to be his fiance. Right. Yeah. It was wild, Nicole. Oh, when I, I held imagine. it in my hand, I was getting this whole big scene. It was like I was watching a little mini movie of the bride, the woman who wore it, her name, her husband's name, that kind of stuff, what happened, why she was selling the ring. It was not a good reason. I mean, it was a good reason for her to sell it, but he he had been unfaithful and she was divorcing him and there was a lot of anger and betrayal and all that kind of stuff. And so Jonathan's best friend, who of course has been around me since he was a little boy. And so this stuff is just normal yeah, to them. Of course. And right? so he's like, I gotta take that to Miss Julie and and get her to clear out the woo-woo. Or right. The, exactly. know, I love that the, word, woo-woo, right? But there you go. The there's that. is residual yeah. type of leftover energy and, you know, divining rods and dowsing rods I use as an adjunct to other uh, methodologies as well. And I, I prefer copper just because of that metal aspect. And it's my belief that these rods, or even if you're using pendulums, I use those too, they almost attune themselves to your energy. And I've had my rods for years. And so it's, it's interesting when I work with other rods, they're not as effective as the ones that I use. And so I think they just attune to your energy. Uh, so it's so, it's just, it's so fascinating. I all agree. of it is just all, so fascinating. All interconnected, obviously. Mm-hmm. It, yes. And interesting, copper, is copper harder than gold or silver? Because gold and silver is more easily manipulated. I'm thinking of jewelry, you know, the the higher the carat, the softer the... I've heard that too. Um, in, in terms of its conductive properties, I think copper is the second highest. I could be wrong on that, but that's another mm-hmm. reason. I mean, people use brass. You can make divining rods out of wood sticks if you want or, or wire hangers. I just prefer the copper just for that reason, for its conductive properties. And the longer they are, the more sensitive. You've probably heard that as well. 
So I'm really not familiar with anything to do with divining rods. Oh. I've seen pendulums used, but no, I haven't. I, I'm not familiar with that at all. So that's that's fascinating. How'd you get interested in all things paranormal? Oh my goodness. Okay, so this is a question I try so hard to condense because I could just be talking about this for an hour straight. So I I like to think that I was born into the field. I know that sounds hokey and I know that sounds woo-woo in a way, but my interests, and I've had authentic interests in, in, in communicating with the other side since I was a very little girl, a little, yeah, I would say about three or four years old, going back to, you know, my infancy per se, and just always had this uh, curiosity about what happens to us when we pass on. But yet I also had a lot of profound experiences that I can remember far back as three and four years old. And so I was one of those kids, even growing up into middle school and high school, that I would get my hands on any sort of book or article pertaining to the paranormal and the afterlife. The culminating experience for me was when I was an undergraduate student at the University of Arizona. It was my senior year, and my mom's mom, Helen Lopinto, she uh, passed away. And what's interesting is she called me the night before she passed. And she, and here I was in Tucson, Arizona, and she was here in San Diego. And she asked me, and she used to worry a lot uh, when she was alive. And she just said, are you okay? And I said, well, of course I am, Grandma. I'm just really busy with school and all of that. You know, I was wondering why she would ask me that. I didn't really ponder on it too much. Now I know, or I think I know after she passed why she did that. She was making her rounds with the family, trying to make sure they were okay because I think she was ready to pass. So uh, I talked with her for about maybe 15, 20 minutes, and this was October 24th. And then the following day in the afternoon, I get a call from my mom, her daughter, of course, and I knew by the tone of my mom's voice that something wasn't right. And I said, okay, mom, what's going on? And she said, with some tears in her eyes, she said, Nicole, I, I love you so much. I want to let you know that I love you, but grandma... Grandma passed away early in the morning. So I was very, very close with my grandmother. So I got the next flight out from Tucson, came to San Diego, spent some time with the family for a few days. And then when I got back to Tucson, I started having these odd experiences in my apartment that I did not encounter prior to her passing. At first, I chucked them off to, well, I'm in an apartment setting, it's my neighbors, it's vibration, didn't really even think paranormal, started off with uh, certain doorknobs rattling by themselves. Then it, uh, the following night, I was sitting on my bed and I felt a disembodied hand caress my face. That's when I connected the dots and I thought, okay, could this be Helen trying to communicate? I didn't really think too much of it. A couple of days later, again, I was, I think, on my laptop doing a paper or something like that, when all of a sudden my left peripheral vision, when I looked, there was my grandmother, full-bodied, looked as though she had a spotlight from behind, uh, so she had this whitish halo. She was wearing one of her uh, favorite house dresses. She didn't say anything. She had a slight smile on her face, and then she faded away the whole experience seemed to play out in slow motion in color and uh it, it seemed to last for at least a second or two and that's pretty long for that type of encounter and then she faded and i had this uh very uh profound residual sense of peace and love after and that's 
when I connected the other uh, experiences I was having. And that's when I put it all together. So I called my mom up, shared with her what happened. And so her and I talked openly to Helen, letting her know that the family's okay. Uh, She's free to move on, be at peace wherever that is. And the experience has stopped, but it was just so profound, so authentic for me. And that's actually what catapulted me out of the lab, so to speak, and getting out into the research field. And that's when I started to to research the paranormal on a serious level. So I really credit her for that, for that experience. Oh, what a gift mm-hmm. she gave you. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You mentioned that you talk, you and your mom spoke with her after she passed. So do you come from a spiritual family? Is this something that you'd encountered before? And when you finally started talking about it, was it accepted or did they think you were nuts? Yeah, no, no. Actually, my both sides of my family are very, very open to what I do. And, uh, and I was actually, I don't practice it anymore, but I was baptized Catholic, went to Catholic school. But uh, even with that said, both sides of my family are very open to it. My grandmother was highly sensitive. She used to say that she was born with a veil over her head. My mom is too. And of course, it passed down to me as well. I think there's some on my dad's side. So I've, I've been very, very intuitive uh, my entire life. I just, for me, it just, I keep it low profile. It's just a personal choice. But uh, I do use that, of course, in my work and, and everyday life. A veil over her head. Were they cull babies? Did they have the part of the amniotic sac over their head? That's a thing. And those children are those babies are said yes. to be very uh, intuitive. Yes, my mom actually. It's funny because we were. I was talking to her about this about a month ago, and she shared that with me. So that is a fact. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's a real thing. Oh, I, yeah. I, she uh, would know when something's wrong. She would call and say, "What's the matter?" And there would be no way of her knowing. So she was. Highly, highly intuitive and, and very good in that, in that sense. So I wish I knew her more as an adult now because, oh, the conversations we would have if she was still alive. But she does communicate with me. I can feel her when she's around. She does make her visits every now and then. So yeah, it's all, it's, she's talking within about my your heart. mom or your grandmother? My grandmother. My grandmother. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. My mom's, mom's still, still alive. living. Yeah. My mom's okay. still alive. So good. She's good. a nurse. I, I too was raised Catholic and I think the Catholics do a really good job of of getting us ready for this spirit communication and this spirit interest with the guardian angels and the saints and the you know the holy spirit and all of that and I think a, a lot of the uh mediums and psychics and and people who are in this field were raised Catholic. I would say an an inordinate amount of us were raised Catholic. So I go back to that foundation is laid versus somebody that's never heard of this stuff. Right. And and they're starting from square zero. We've already kind of been catapulted off the platform and been little bit. to believe in it since yeah. we were little. Absolutely. Yeah. You're right on that too, because I've talked to a lot of people who also have that Catholic background. As an adult, I don't really practice a religion per se, but I'm more spiritual. If anything, I'm a spiritualist. But um, 
yeah, baptized Catholic when I was young, all of that, went to Catholic school. So yeah, it does, it does prepare you a little bit for this type of work there. That is, that's an astute uh, way of thinking about it for sure. Yeah. And interestingly enough, Pope uh, Francis came out with a papal bull. I don't know if you've read it in 2016. Have you read it? You know what I'm talking about? I read a little article on it. Yeah. To uh, have his pastors welcome psychic mediums and healers because they're doing the work of the Holy Spirit. And my, my parish and many churches of all denominations and synagogues around the country give my book to every family that comes in to plan a funeral. Oh, that's great. And yeah, and it talks about what happens as we're dying and and how we're surrounded by angels and the spirits of deceased loved ones, oh, absolutely. which is what the, the prayer in Paradisum is all about. And I know you coming from a Catholic background, Catholic funerals, that's a prayer that said every Catholic funeral that yes. the angels and your loved ones will greet you and lead you into paradise. And so I think that's fascinating it as is. well. So tell us about the San Diego Paranormal Research Society. Oh, tell us, sure. Did you, did you found it? Tell us about your research methodologies. And a little bit later, I want to talk to you about some of the cases that have been uh, you know, more interesting and ones that have really stuck in your mind. So first, tell us about about why you founded that society and tell us about it and tell us about your re- research methodologies. So absolutely. So uh, I will preface, preface this by saying that I've worked with different paranormal research teams in Southern California. But after getting my hands wet, if you will, I had this desire to to form my own team just because I had a vision of what I wanted for it. And so I, I developed and founded the San Diego Paranormal Research Society in 2009. And we primarily uh, concentrate on uh, investigations, paranormal investigations and case studies. There's a little bit of a difference there. An investigation is more or more or less you get one night to investigate a property and that's it. A case study is where and this is highly beneficial, where you get to spend uh, a certain amount of time there, several weeks, several months, and you get more of an idea of what's going on. So we concentrate on those types of cases. And primarily in San Diego County, we do go up to LA and even out of state, or I sometimes go out of state, because I'm the California coordinator for the the Ghost Research Society as well in, in, in Chicago, Illinois. So uh, the team, we t- we're, we're not, and I will say this, no offense to anyone who has the, the term ghost hunters in their team title. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm more or less talking about the um, the psychological mindset, the goals and the intentions of our team. So we're we're not thrill seekers. We're not out to hunt the dead per se. We are legitimately into researching the unknown. And as I mentioned before, you know, looking at those other supplemental areas. So historical research, uh, genealogy, archaeology, uh, 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 even getting into like uh, all the different eyewitness interviews and so forth, all looking at all those facets when we do our investigation or case study. So, and then also we offer classes, various types of classes. So let's say you want to learn how to, the the routes of being a paranormal investigator. We have courses for that. And then of course, I love to present and I have several this month actually. And I have about, I think 14 or different 
14 or 15 different presentation topics that cover uh, various aspects of the paranormal field. And you can go on my website, authornicolestrickland.com to see those. So we're an educational sort of team as well as going out and investigating the unknown. And we do approach our work both with a metaphysical mindset and with a science sort of mindset. I feel it gives a more holistic view of what may be going on. Some teams are strictly intuitive and that's fine. Some teams strictly adhere to uh, more of the tangible, factual uh uh, data they can get with just scientific type of methodology. But we like to combine the two and all of that. So it is a lot of fun. And I'm very proud that we've become one of San Diego's leading teams, which is we've worked hard for that. And so it's it's really been a learning experience and a lot of fun in the way in the process of doing that. So and we've had many different types of of cases that stick out. Uh, you can always learn something new on a case, uh, some prominent historical ones as well. I don't know if there are certain ones you wanted me to talk about or just share what's, what, what I feel is the most popular that we've done or the more, the most profound. It's up to you. Let's do that a little bit later in okay. our conversation because sure. I want to stay on the topic of, it sounds like there are several. Methodology organizations and yeah. groups yes. that are doing this. Oh yes, absolutely. Are they nonprofit organizations? Are they for profit? Are they just a group of people that get together to do something fun? Who calls on you for help? How do you find the cases? Oh, okay, getting you know, more things into like that. that. Sure, yeah. So most teams, I think, are more nonprofit. You know, they may charge for, let's say, they're going into doing a, a presentation. They may charge for that, but we, most teams, I would say 98%, even higher, do not charge for investigations just because it's thought, it's, it's a, it's a general collective view that why do we charge for something that, that isn't necessarily proven or something that we can't tangibly say either way. So most teams don't charge. They might accept donations. Um, or if it lets, like in my case, if they go to an event and they sell books, of course, you know, they're going to charge for that. But for, I'm strictly speaking on investigations. Usually we don't. Sometimes, uh, whether it's a museum curator or a homeowner, they might give a little donation for gas, things of that nature. Um, but, uh, we're very, uh, strict in how we do our methodologies and, and approach our, our studies. So uh, again, there's the ghost hunter sort of thrill seeker route. And then there's more down the line of the academic sorts of paranormal research. And I know we can touch upon uh, uh, methodologies uh, later on. Um, what what was it that you wanted to hear of again? Because I'm going off tangent. You mentioned something. I want to make sure I don't forget that. About the methodologies, okay. and I want to I want to hear the case studies a little bit later. But I'm interested in: Do you take electronic equipment oh, in yeah, there? Right. Do you do you research? You know, like if you're researching some medical, you're going on PubMed, or you're going on someplace like that. I mean, is there is there a a, a reference site that's kind of a an amalgamation of a bunch of research that's been done that you can access? Is there a cooperative between different groups when you figure out something? I'm, I'm interested in what your Perfect. research methodologies Perfect. are. Yes. So I, it's, it's my wish as meant as well as many others to have one 
general foundational site that has a lot of uh, compiled research from various locations. Sadly, that doesn't really exist. It's funny because I was just talking about this on another show. We were talking about the idea of having something like that. But uh, every team is different. Uh, some teams don't like to collaborate. I'm seeing that more now, though. Uh, so I do collaborate with other with other researchers um, as long as their intent matches the goals and objectives of the team, of course. And methodology-wise, it, it and again, some are mainly intuitive and, and approach it from more of a psychic channeling. Others are mainly uh, interested in, in uh, using various different types of uh, elect- electronic technical gadgets. We blend, we blend the two. So we'll do a lot of audio experimentation. So uh, electronic voice phenomena type of experimentation. Uh, most people know this, but an EVP is a, is a voice that you don't hear at the time of recording that may be captured on a recording device, whether it's your phone or a fancy uh, Tascam or Zoom recorder. And then other times you may, uh, during a, an audio session, and we like to make it more discussion-based, not like an interrogative type of interview. So when we do that, you may hear what we call a, a disembodied voice or an audible voice phenomenon. And that's something that we hear with our naked ear that may be captured on a recording device with EVPs we don't hear live. We only hear when when we review back. There's also a methodology which is a close cousin to EVP work, which is uh, instrumental transcommunication coined in 1971 by Dr. Ernst Sienkowski. And it's basic, it's it's two-way live communication between us and the afterlife or us and a spiritual being that we're trying to communicate with. So it's thought, it's not proven, it's thought that these uh, ghost boxes, spirit boxes that scan the AM and FM bands of a radio at a very, very, very high rate, it's thought that energies can use the electronic frequency of, of the device to formulate words or sentences. And so what we look for in that type of research is we're looking for responses or words that correlate with the property's history do they correlate with uh, with the questions we're asking, or with uh, maybe it's a, it's a homeowner that joined us on an investigation, and maybe they say that homeowner's name. I don't know, but uh, could anything that's very uh, precise and easy to hear, but has some sort of relevancy to the property that we're investigating, and then of course. Uh, Photo, spirit photography, you know, many people use the IR, DVR surveillance cameras to monitor the rooms, or you can set up static cameras, whether it's full spectrum or infrared. It's thought that, it's it's theorized, I should say, that ghosts and spirits are easily seen in the, the near infrared or infrared spectrum. So that's why we employ these various types of gadgets. Um, and then, of course, uh, let's see here. There's trigger objects. Many people will employ the Singapore theory, kind of uh, enticing energies from a certain time period. So using trigger objects, various different types of recording devices, I forgot to mention. So in addition to the spirit box or ghost box, you can have, you can use your phone. Some people just use their phones and they have great, great evidence. Or you can get like a cheaper little digital uh, recorder, or you can get the more fancier task cam and zooms, or you can use analog. A lot of people don't use analog just because it's uh, more time consuming, but it's thought that 
with the magnetic tape and the tapes that it's thought that energies can maybe emulsify their voice or sound on those tapes. So there's all kinds of different methodologies and what I what I call adjunct, and that's getting into metaphysical. So using certain crystals to maybe amplify the space or uh, act as a, a metaphysical battery to allow spirits to communicate, or uh, maybe using divining rods in addition to uh, those that are asking questions during an audio segment. You may want someone doing a divining rod segment. You'd be surprised you can get corroborations. You can get something that is said and captured on an audio recorder that matches how the mo- the rods move. So it's blending all of those uh, types of techniques. So and every team's different. Every team is different. But that's those are some of the common uh, methodologies that we employ. All right, let's unpack this because I got a bunch of questions. <laughs> I, 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 and I, and I stuff that you just said. I actually tried to condense it because I, yeah, yeah. You know, oh, I'm sure. I'll go off I'm on sure. a tangent. <laughs> Good job on the overview. First of all, the um, EVP is electronic voice phenomenon, correct? Yeah, phenomena plural. Yes, EVP phenomena. And what you do is you have like a tape recorder playing while you're talking. Right. With yes. the spirit. So so if you're in somebody's house and they're saying, somebody's screwing with our lights or they're moving stuff around or whatever, what do you do? Do you go in and say, hey, who's messing with the lights? Or well, what? yeah, you know what? There's a whole, let's, let's take that example. So it's best to use more than one recorder, at least two, if not three, because there can be a situation where, let's say, one or two capture something and the other does not. But if we're going into a home and we're going to investigate that night, we obviously we have our permission form and liability waiver signed. We have permission by the family to be there. We'll set up and all of that. And a lot of teams, including us, will have a recorder running during setup because you can get some responses during that time. But let's say we're about to start uh, an EVP session. Uh, it's my opinion on this to not just hit record and start asking questions, we usually set the tone. And so there's like an opening statement. It goes like this. Hi, this is Nicole Strickland and Ali Schreiber and Eric. And we're here at, you know, state the name of the place. We're going to attempt a, a, a spirit communication session, EVP session in the living room. Uh, we want to let the energies know that we come with respect. We come as friends. Uh, you don't have to communicate with us, but we'd strongly encourage it. We're here to get to learn about you and in the history and the story of this location, blah, blah, blah. And we also let them know this. We'll say, just in case you are speaking to us and we're not responding to you, don't think it's because we're ignoring you. Sometimes it is hard for us to hear with our naked ear, with our ears. That's why we have these various devices or gadgets or contraptions set around. If you can see, you might see that they have either a red or a green light, blah, blah, blah. And then we set the tone with that. And then we start our questions stating the time, investigators' names, just to identify vocalizations, uh, the location and the location where we're at in the property. If it's a living room, state that. If it's a kitchen, state that. And then, of course, like I said, the time. And then we start asking questions and then we usually like to leave a good 10 seconds, sometimes more, in between each question because sometimes it takes a little longer for uh, energies to answer. So it's a whole drawn out sort of uh, 
experience. And then, of course, what I did mention before is the environmental monitoring aspect of it. So the different theories of uh, the electromagnetic frequency or the EM spectrum, it's thought that ghosts can manipulate that spectrum, but also places that have very high amounts of EMF can also serve as a nice foundation for paranormal types of activity, uh, cold drops even. So that's why we have ambient temperature, temperature sensors, because in many situations, you, someone may experience a, a, a drop in the temperature really quickly. And this feels like as if you've walked into a refrigerator or freezer, you're going to feel freezing maybe for a second or two, and then it goes away. But you'd be surprised, maybe an EVP is captured right at that same time. So whenever you can get a personal type of experience, whether it's a it's a uh, uh, what I call um, an objective type of experience, whether let's say you're seeing a shadow figure, you're seeing a ghost, or a subjective, you're feeling the emotion of maybe a spirit or or an energy, jot that down, note that down. We try to have investigators keep the subjective notes private until after the investigation. And then we share because of course, power of suggestion and bias and stuff. But uh, if it's something that you're seeing, state that, say, oh my gosh, I just saw an apparition in that corner. You'd be surprised that their personal experience matches an EVP, for example, and that's two pieces of corroboration. So it's, it's a whole, it's a whole procedure, other types of environmental monitoring as well. Uh, radiation, even there can be disruptions in, in the ions, in the air, or the radiation. Uh, so environmental monitoring is important, but I wouldn't use that because it, it just by itself. Because what is a random EMF spike really going to tell you? Not much. But if you put it all together and try to to look at all the methodologies that you're using and try to piece together the puzzle, that's that's what we try to do. So. I have a gal who took my class. She's a graduate of my angelic attendant training, and Ooh. she does the EVP yeah. work as well. And interestingly enough, Nicole, she's a choir director at a high school. Interesting. She's in charge of the music program at a high school. And yes, very much so. Yes. But she lost her son when he was 10. Oh, my God. And so she talks to him on the EVPs. And, and I've heard it. She's played some of the tapes for me. And every time she gets, she contacts him, he goes, hi, mommy. Oh, like, my God. I mean, just it is the sweetest thing. And we had a gal who we're all very close to graduates. It's kind of this community. And one of our graduates passed from brain cancer. Mm. And so this gal that does the EVP, she said to the gal who passed before she died, she said, now let, let us know when you get to heaven. And she said, fine. So we all got word that she had passed. Let's say it was at noon on a Sunday. Well, at about three o'clock that afternoon, the EVP gal did a session with her and said, hey, you know, are you, did you make it okay? What they agreed was she was going to let them know that she made made it to heaven. And you could very clearly, Nicole, hear her in her accent say, I made it, I'm here, it's amazing, whatever else she said. That's but it, awesome. It was amazing, amazing. Oh my gosh, so, that's yeah, phenomenal. So I, I'll hook you up with the gal that does EVPs if oh, you want. Oh my gosh, um, absolutely. Yes. 
Oh, that she's would be, a, I would love to adult. talk with her. Oh my God. Yeah, she's a doll. The other thing is I had Sonia Rinaldi on my oh, show. Oh, of course. Yes. Who, yeah. And she's in, where is she? Brazil, I think. I think so. And, and she does kind of a steam. She'll do, it, it reminds me of a vaporizer. So she'll do a steam. Like if you got a kid that's got chest congestion, you know, you're running the cold air by vaporizer in the bedroom at night. And she's able to project, uh, or spirit is able to project their image in the vapor in the room. So it's almost like a type of oculumency or scrying, mirror scrying, similar to that. But go on. I don't know what that means. Translate that for us. uh, So... Black mirror scrying or oculumency. It's, it, you can do it with like a bowl of water and you can, uh, it's, it's staring at the water or a glass, glass and a mirror staring into that mirror. It's all about intention, putting your intention out of who you want to speak to. And we, when you look in there long enough, you can start to see formations of, of certain spirits, maybe their facial, uh, expressions or whatnot. I've only tried it a couple of times, but it's a form of that. That's what it reminds me of that. Most of us have busy lives and we know that we're not getting the nutrients and the vitamins and the minerals that we need. So I'm always looking for easy ways to ingest them. I found one, it's called Beam Minerals. And what I find is that most of us don't get enough potassium, magnesium, and calcium. Those are the big three. And so what Beam Minerals does is it's put all these minerals in a liquid form that's easy to drink because it tastes like water. It's got all these important minerals and a whole bunch of other ones. And I find that they're really helpful. They save me time. They're easy to take. And I suggest that you give them a try. Go to Beam Minerals. B as in boy, E-A-M, minerals, plural, dot com, and use the code Julie Ryan, altogether, no space, at checkout, and you'll get 20% off your order. That's Beam Minerals, B-E-A-M, minerals, dot com, and use Julie Ryan at checkout, and you'll get a 20% discount. Give it a try and let me know what you think. For my 40th birthday, I had a whole bunch of girlfriends flying from all over the country and we spent the weekend in New Orleans. So this is like 24 years ago. Mm -hmm. We had a ball. And one of the things that we did was we went to this plantation that was supposedly haunted. It's called the Myrtles. Oh, yes. Myrtle. I was just going to ask you if it was Myrtles. Just going to ask you. It was the Myrtles. So, and this was this was, I had just started learning woo-woo at this point. I'd, I'd been into it for a couple of years because I didn't grow up with this stuff. I learned how to do all this stuff mm-hmm. and I teach people how to do it. And so we're in there and I'm not feeling anything. Nobody's seeing anything. You know, it's like nine of my best girlfriends from all over the country and I, we were having a ball. Oh my gosh. So the story was there's this as in many antebellum homes, there's this huge vertical mirror when you walk in the front door because the women wanted to be sure that their dresses were long enough and their ankles weren't showing because that was, you know, very, very risque and very taboo. Yes, it was. You know, in the gentrified society. But the story was that they had to keep replacing the mirror Mm -hmm. because children's handprints kept showing up on the mirror. 
So none of us are seeing the handprints, but one of my girlfriends took a picture of it with her camera because that was before cell phones. She took a picture of it with her camera, Nicole. And when she got the pictures developed, there were handprints, children handprints all over the mirror. What happened with that? That, you know what? I mean, here goes my analytical, you know, critical mind. I mean, is it possible there were handprints on? Because it's our oils from our hands, right? That imprint on the mirror, right? So is it possible that at the angle that you guys looked at the mirror, you didn't actually physically see those handprints, but yet the camera picked it up, especially if there was maybe a a flash. I don't know if she took the picture direct on with or without. Direct on. Direct on. Was there a flash? I don't remember. I don't remember. Probably not because it was daytime. Right. So that could be, or it could be a situation where, yeah, that could be paranormal. So, Because they said they kept having to replace the mirror because these handprints kept showing up. I've heard that story before. I also heard that I thought uh, there was a, a female spirit that was said to appear in it too. Maybe I have it confused with a different location, but I have heard the handprints. So, yeah, oh, yeah. That's, oh my and gosh, then, it's so fascinating. It was so much fun. And then the other question I have is, are there research institutes either here in America or abroad? Because I know Europe especially, well, and, and I'm sure in Asia too, I'm just not as familiar with it, but I know there's a group called the London Seance Society that's yes, super yes. old. Very, super very old, old very old. Is there a department of study in an academic institution like the University of Virginia has yes. the, the, you know, has the, the, um, past what they've got, the near death experience NDEs, department, yes. NDEs. Is there a department in an academic institution anywhere in the world of which you're aware that really studies this? And is there a degree that one can get in this? What do you do? Get a degree in paranormal activity? Right. I know, right. Good question. So University of Edinburgh is probably, I can't say the best, but it's fully, fully credited in in terms of doing uh, scientific types of research. So University of Edinburgh, but there's also other institutions in the U.S. that are credited as well where you can get like a parapsychological degree with certain types of concentrations. So you can get uh, paranormal science, you can get psi, PSI science, you can get uh, just various different classifications and, and concentrations. I'm actually highly thinking of pursuing a PhD in parapsychology just for my own knowledge and to, just to, to, you know, acquire more knowledge. But uh, University of Virginia, University of Arizona used to have a more of a program, not they, they do it used to be called the Sophia project. I don't know if they're really actively working on that now, but uh, let's see uh, the Rhine Institute, for example, is, is well known. Um, the society, right. It's, it's out of Duke university, I believe. Uh, so it was Louisa and Ryan and her husband that I believe started it very much into psi phenomena so uh, ESB, telepathy, psychic channeling. Uh, let's see what else. The Society for Psychical Research actually was formed in London, I believe, in 1882 as a way to try to disprove some of the fraudulence that occurred during the spiritualist movement. And so there, that, it was the first 
organization to offer a scientific framework to study the paranormal. And there's, it's still active and they have all kinds of various articles online and it's very much still active. But yes, Europe is very much into this, very much into it. And even it's, it's, even the East Coast is a little, I don't know, because I don't live out there, but I've heard differences. Oh, the East Coast is more conservative than the West and all of that in regards to the paranormal. But I don't know. I see that changing just because so many people are more uh, apt to share their experiences and become really interested in this type of phenomena. I mean, it's so highly infused in our society now. So... Yeah, let's talk about that for a minute. I think it's been around for forever. It's all throughout the Bible, you know, angels and vis- spirit visits yeah. and certainly King Lear and and Dickens. I think probably the most well-known uh, story is A Christmas Carol with oh, yes. ghosts of Christmas past, present and future that we all see at Christmas time and, and then on down through the ages. So I believe that it's been around for forever. Oh, absolutely. And people just took it as just a natural part of life. And then it's only been in the last 100 years, maybe 150 years where people were saying, oh, you have to prove it to me. You know, it's it's we've become more proof based as right. a society. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. Yeah. And that's actually one of the 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 aspects I mentioned whenever I do a class or a presentation, I will say, look, my, my aim, my personal aim is not out to prove because I already know life after death exists. I already know that, you know, other energies and beings are out there. It's just my intent is not to prove it to you. My objective, I guess, is to offer what I, what results or what research I come up with and then leave that for you to decide. So it's just seeking the unknown and, and seeking the truth of it all and uh, trying to figure out the how and why. But then again, are we mortals? This is just a very out in left field thought, but are we mortals supposed to know all of the intricacies that happen once our bodies cease to function and our soul evolves. Are we supposed to know that as mortals or are we only granted that when it's our turn? I don't know. I think we're in many ways given glimpses of what will happen to us. Like for example, NDEs, people sharing traits of those NDEs from uh, various ages, cultures, ethnicities. So I don't know. I think there's a lot of elusive aspects to this and Maybe we will discover them all someday, but uh, I think we're on our way to something really good and something really enticing. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. but Well, my belief is that we're, I agree with you, we're not supposed to know. We're supposed to have the human experience, number one, right. but also these little bits and pieces and snippets of information that we get from spirit, I believe is to help us not fear the afterlife, Absolutely. not fear death. Yes. And and that's what my mission really is. Mm-hmm. And I had a dead pope show up and say, you know, you're supposed to teach the world what happens when somebody dies. And I said, I'm not doing that. Because yeah, yeah, just get on with it. Clement the Sixth, who ended up being in office during the Black Plague oh, wow, when yeah. two thirds of Europe died. I never heard of a Pope Clement, let alone I knew there was, you know, more than that there was six of them or more 
So I, I believe that that's why this information comes out is to help us because what Pope Clement communicates to me, his spirit, my, my, he is my main spirit guide is people have, are so afraid of dying in the afterlife because it's been so bastardized. Oh, it absolutely over has. the millennia. Oh my gosh. And well said on by that. religions and cultures and civilizations that were using the fear to control the masses. You need to do what I say, or you're going to go burn in a fiery pit for eternity. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. It does. So, you know, I think that that... Go ahead. Sorry. Well, I think that that's why we get snippets and why when I am working with a client and we're talking to a deceased loved one uh, and they're giving us information about certain things and and it, it just gives them peace and lets them know, okay, my dad really still is around me and my dad is paying attention to what's happening to me. And even though I can't see him or touch him, I can still communicate with him. And then my goal is to teach them how to communicate with their deceased loved ones themselves right and not have to go through a medium or a psychic. Exactly. Because Everybody has the ability. I believe everybody oh, comes yes. in with the ability. It's I just agree. a matter of developing and enhancing it. Absolutely. And it's, it's, I've, I've evolved as a para, while I'm still interested highly in, in paranormal research, I'm also over, I would say in the last few years, really more or less going down the afterlife study and research and really mm-hmm. getting into spirit communication, study of human consciousness after death, uh, uh, NDEs, it's very fascinating. And for me now, as opposed to when I started this, I was so interested in, I want an EVP, I want a ghost photograph. Now that's still interesting, don't get me wrong, but what's more important to me are the, are the, is the rapport that I can make with the energies I come across and how mm-hmm. that can help surviving families heal from loss and so forth. So it's become more of a, a personal mission to... Um, study all of this because it's very rewarding when a loved one who is grieving can have that connection with someone dear to them who has passed. So you hit the nail on the head. I did. (laughs) You you did. did I am, I am, uh, uh, involved with a group called helping parents heal. Oh, fantastic. it, it's just as it sounds, it's people who've lost a child, whether Mm -hmm. that child was, a baby or a, or a teenager or a 90-year-old person lost their 70-year-old child. A child is still a child. And the number one thing that comforts those family members is being able to communicate yes. with their deceased loved Absolutely. one. And it brings so much peace and comfort. Oh, it and does. That's, that's what I'm all about too. That and when we know that we're surrounded by angels and the spirits of deceased loved ones and pets as we're transitioning, which by the way, university-based research corroborates with a 90% of people at the end of life see their deceased loved ones and pets, spirits, either in dreams or visions. 90%, Nicole. That's pretty high. That's extremely high. high. And, And you talk to any hospice caregiver or any critical caregiver, ER person, somebody that's worked in the emergency department, or most 
of those people, along with family members, will say, yeah, my mom at the end of her life was talking to her dead grandmother who'd been dead for 80 years or something. Yeah. And you and we before we thought, well, grandma is just hallucinating. There's nothing hallucinogenic about what grandma's behavior is. Grandma's got one foot in the spirit world and one foot in this world, and she's able to communicate. Exactly. And that's why the concept of, um, sorry, I interrupted you there. Sorry about that. Uh, The concept of dream hallucinations, you know, with loved ones being so close to, to physical death, I should say, they're able to be more connected with that other side. And it's like, is it really a hallucination at all? To me, it's just natural. Um, so, and I, I, apparently it's a classification in the DSM-5, uh, diagnostic psychiatric handbook now. So go figure. Interesting. Yeah. Well, let's, let's circle back for a minute between spirits and ghosts. Sure. Do you have a definition of what a spirit is, what a ghost is? Are they the same thing? Do they differ in your opinion? Yeah. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Let's see that. And it's, it's very easy for uh, even veteran researchers like myself to use ghost and spirit interchangeably, but there really is, in my opinion, as well as others as well as well as my colleagues, there is a difference between the two. So a ghost, also known as an earthbound, is, of course, the intelligent uh, energy of someone once living, but perhaps that entity, that earthbound entity, isn't able to progress through the ranks of spirithood as easily as someone like spirit. So maybe they're stuck here, by choice or involuntarily, maybe they're they're attracted to an antique. Maybe there's unfinished business. Maybe they just passed, and, and their family is grieving so hard that it's calling them back. So there's still such a tie to this mortal plane. Whereas a spirit, similar to a ghost, can be intelligent, can communicate, and all of that. But it's someone who has uh, advanced through spirithood. Uh, maybe the soul has progressed a little bit more than that of an earthbound. So just highly, more highly advanced, I should say, in the spirit world. That's my sort of definition. And uh, it's, 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 it corroborates many others. They just maybe it might be explained differently, but that's kind of what we're thinking in terms of the two. So do the, do you find that a ghost and a spirit have a different frequency or vibration? Do they look different when you capture them on film? Do you perceive them that there's a difference between them? Excellent, excellent question. I think for me in, 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 in my personal encounters, it's more the emotional frequency. So you might sense, let's say with an earthbound, let's say someone who tragically died a violent death maybe it was suicide tragically or a car accident and you're still as an empath or a clairsentient you're still able to sense that anxious sort of emotion around that that person whereas with the higher evolved spirit there's just a a more calm more in my experience more loving peaceful uh sense about them so it's less of a tie to the mortal world, if that makes sense. Um, in terms of uh, audio or, uh, it, I can't really say that I just by audio alone or just by a photograph that, oh, yes, that's a spirit. It's everything combined. Let's say we do capture 
a photo of someone and we really feel it's a person that we were communicating to that based on what our intuition is telling us and and based on that that emotional sense surrounding that entity okay maybe that picture is of a spirit but it's for me in my experience it's more what i'm feeling when i'm communicating and learning about that energy and it's usually for me telling okay this this entity has more of i can tell more of a tie to the mortal plane whereas this energy here seems very very highly advanced it's it's almost hard to explain it it really is the so, late sylvia brown who was uh uh my god i guess you call her a psychic medium yeah. i don't know she yeah. wrote a, wrote a bunch of books i know and she said that she could tell the difference between go because ghosts didn't touch the ground their feet they were elevated like two or three feet off of the ground i've heard that and too which which i i don't find that to be the case here's my take either, on the difference yeah between spirits and yeah, ghosts I was gonna ask is, you. yeah, what I get is that, it, and I've worked with tens of thousands of people at the end of their lives I and bet. their family members and or done instant replays, like in a football game, you know, they'll do an instant replay of mm -hmm. the touchdown. Yep. And what I've seen, Nicole, is that everybody goes to heaven. The movie, all dogs go to heaven. Well, all people go to heaven too. Same thing. I agree. Everybody goes to heaven and there are some spirits that want to experience what it's like to be a non-physical and go through some of the physical experiences without their body. Mm -hmm. So they're in heaven and then they go, ah, I think I'm going to go back for a little bit. And there are lots of schools of thought that are most of our spirit stays in heaven and a fractal of it can be multiple places at the same time, which is what I experience when grandma says, yeah, I'm, I'm with all my 85 million grandchildren and children and friends all at the same time. Mm -hmm. That's hard for us to understand from our human perspective. Back to your point earlier, I don't think we're supposed to understand it. I don't either, but you know what? That's so true. It's almost, I forgot to say the free will choice where they can go right. and evolve but yet right. come back here, whereas Earthbounds can't do that. Maybe they can, but in you know that's we're thinking that that they can't do that. Yeah. So in my experience, nobody is Earthbound. No spirits are ever Earthbound. It's all that spirit. What that spirit wants to explore, and and experience, whether they be connected to a body and in physical form, mm -hmm. or whether they're just in non-physical. And I've worked with goes throughout the years who are seem to be looking for somebody one of my one of my favorite stories nicole uh, one of my best friends late best friends unfortunately she passed oh, a few years so ago sorry she she said that she was sitting in her living room one night and there was this evil spirit that was coming through her her front door which was really thick a thick wooden front door and she got up and there was an umbrella stand next to the front door and one of her her son's golf club was in there and she said she got the golf club and she was going to hit the spirit oh and say God. you are not welcome here get out of here and so i i'm doing an instant replay this was before i knew her so i'm doing an instant replay of, of course. it and i said well first of all i got the person's name and and all of that but i said the face was distorted because it was coming through this dense 
wooden door. And it reminded me of the movies when the bank robbers would put pantyhose yes. on their face, yes. you know, to distort their image. So that was number one. But number two, in talking with that spirit, what we found out was my friend's daughter was the reincarnated spirit of this guy's daughter. He told me where he lived, when he lived, what the daughter's name was, and he was searching for his daughter and he was coming to visit his daughter's spirit, who now had reincarnated as my friend's spirit. Bottom line, my girlfriend, who was a just a you know research wonk, got all of that information corroborated in census documents and genealogy things. It just sounds like you're doing that too. But I think that's a great example of we got them reunited and he went on into the light. Sometimes I'll see ghosts that will go into this big white yellowish plasma wall mm -hmm. and it that's what heaven looks like but sometimes i'll have their loved ones spirits come get them sometimes we'll get the information that they're searching that they're in search of get that to them and that satisfies them it's really fascinating it is but they've all they've all transitioned to heaven and my experience and come back to explore and experience things in a non-physical way in the earth plane or on the earth plane. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. And it, and it, it actually brings me to this. I'm not a big uh, believer in classifying certain sorts of energies. I mean, we do it for the sake of research, but I'm almost with you on that, that I'm not so sure really is there any such thing as an earthbound really. Uh, that's something that I've pondered um, over the years and you know for classification purposes okay here's a ghost here's an here's an earthbound here's a spirit but the example you gave with your friend believing that she had something evil but yet finding out that it was absolutely the opposite this is and this is happening all the time you know where people maybe have fear maybe they have fear of the unknown maybe they got a scratch and they're associating it with um, a malintent malicious intent and all of that but that may not be the intent of the spirit or entity as demonstrated in this ex in this example. And so it's a good example to use to show that we can be very off in our perceptions. And in reality, what we think is negative and, and evil is not. And so it reminded me of that. So It never is. All spirits are pure love. Uh, that, the see whole that, evil I, spirit thing is all concocted by religions and exactly. cultures to control the masses. And don't you, yeah. it's, it's a big... Sorry, but it's a big fat thorn in my side every damn day. And we see this with Hollywood. We see this with entertainment, exploiting the spirit realm, you know, capitalizing on fear, fear sells and all of this. And it's what it's doing is it's duping many people. And then people like you and I and others come in and it's it's it really saddens me. It really does. So, yeah. Well, and I'm wondering if that whole <laughs> earthbound spirit thing is is purgatory. You know, it's where did that come from? Well, it was an explanation of what happens to somebody when they're in purgatory. And then we did we used to have limbo. Oh, but remember they limbo. Yeah. They've kind of for they kind of stopped talking about purgatory and limbo. It just kind of magically went away. It did. Which is interesting. And I'll use but, it too a couple of times, but it's like it's weird how it con I'm not even concentrating on using that word. It just comes out. 
Yeah. So. Well, I, I was taught that the the babies that weren't baptized went to limbo. Oh, and yeah. I said, Seriously, really? God, I know. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense. None of it. Interestingly enough, I was talking with a girlfriend this morning and I was telling her how excited I was to talk with Aww. you today. And Likewise. and we were we were talking about curses and and all of that. And she said when she was in medical school, the first day of medical school, they talked about voodoo medicine. Yes. And I said, you are kidding me. And she said, no. And she was in medical school in the 50s when there weren't a lot of women yes, in right, medicine, right. 50s and 60s. And so, and so she said, yeah, they talked about how the belief, which goes into the fear you know, from or religions and cultures and all of that. She said that fear went into this whole voodoo medicine thing where if somebody put a curse on you and you believed you were going to die, people would die or they'd hold a bone over you or something. And, and I think that goes into the power Oops. of our minds. Absolutely. Right on. And, and also the placebo effect. Yes. Whereas when new medications are being tested, they always have a way better response with somebody getting a sugar pill. It's, I believe it's 52% of people that got the placebo believe that they were helped by the medicine. And it's always way more effective than the medicine that they're studying. Oh, yeah. What you have to say about the power of the mind. Oh, absolutely. And then the whole concept of tulpas, too. What's a tulpa? So it's, it's uh, you know, I, I think it should. And again, I'm not big on classifications, but I think we need to talk about this more. It's, it's, it's a Tibetan word that means emanation or manifestation uh, described in what's his, what's his, no it's James Hilton's novel, The Lost Horizon. So the oh. fictional paradise of Shangri-La. So it's the concept of when we give our thoughts so much power those thoughts can perhaps generate their own life form. And so maybe people that, no offense to people that believe in the concept of demons, no offense at all, but with entertainment and mass media making it sound like ghosts and, and spirits, uh, everyone in the afterlife is evil and malicious, people may start believing that and then it creates this sort of tulpified, if you will, life form that is not true. So I think that's something that we need to look at too. Because I'm with you. Interesting. I'm with you. I, I do not believe the spirit world and the afterlife is at all evil. For me, to me, it's the opposite. No. It's full of love. It's all. So yeah. I'm with you. I'm it's with all, you on that. It's it's pure love. And And I'll have people say, well, I don't want my mom around me, my mom's spirit, when I'm dying, she was the bitch from hell, mother, yeah. <laughs> right? I don't want anything to do with her. And I'll say, well, that personality, those personality traits stay with the body. Exactly. When somebody dies. Mm -hmm. And the spirit is pure love. And they'll say, well, what about somebody who was a serial killer or something like that? I'll say that was their human experience. Yes. Their spirit was pure love. Do I understand how that works? Not all the nuances, but I've been told it a bazillion times from spirit. Is it where I go, Nicole, and maybe you do too, as I go to, is it feasible? I'll say, okay, yeah, maybe it is. 
maybe I'll find out when I go back, go to heaven. Right. And, and then I'm going to have a, mil, a bazillion questions going, okay, how's that work? How's that oh, work? Oh, I know. I'll but, be there right with you on that with all my questions. But um, I'm told by, by just unlimited spirits, you don't even have to ask. You just know all this stuff mm-hmm. when you get there. You know it. Let's circle back to entertainment and literature and TV and all of that kind of stuff. Tell me your thoughts on that. And and are there any shows or movies that you can think of that accurately portray Good question. what you've experienced? Good question. So I'm going to preface preface this. I know a lot of people that are on shows and they're wonderful, wonderful people. Don't get me wrong. I'm speaking just of the show itself and, and, and what it portrays. And so, and again, I've, I've been on TV. I've, I've been on national and local shows, but I will only do those types that where I can authentically, uh, present myself and my views of the paranormal. So those are the ones that I'll choose to do. I've declined others. Um, but I just, I feel that as long as sensationalism and Hollywood are, are joining forces to make these shows, it's, they're not, these shows are not 100% portraying the afterlife, life after death, and even, even perhaps other beings correctly or authentically. And I think that's, that's, it's creating this vibe of, oh, the paranormal, the afterlife, even other types of paranormal uh, uh, classifications, cryptozoology, UFOlogy, it's give, it's it's almost uh, cheapening it and exploiting it like it's one big giant amusement park and circus, and it's just it's that that doesn't really sit with me too well. And I understand entertainment's great, but is it really great at the expense of someone else? You know, because you are dealing with someone's grandma deceased grandma or grandpa or mom or dad or whatnot. And so that's, that's the problem I have with it. Uh, but I, you know, I, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts as well on it, but there are, I think some shows and the ones that stick out for me, highway to heaven, for example, is a good, honest example of someone earthbound or that comes back as an angel, perhaps not earthbound. I don't know why I said that, but it comes back as an angel helps people so good intent that heartfelt intent the ghost whisperer i think is is getting close to that as well oh gosh there are others touched by an angel there are others and even some modern ones but that's my issue with with television and movies and it's blending blending horror with the paranormal blending horror with the afterlife i think those are two genres that should not be mixed whatsoever. But again, fear sells and that's what people want. And it's, yeah. it's sad. Well, like the news, if it bleeds, it leads. Oh, I mean, you, yeah. you can have, you can have, I had a, a guest, John Davis, recently on the show and he, he said the, the path that he drives to work, there may be a thousand cars that are on the road in this 20 miles that he drives mm-hmm. or whatever he said is if there's one bad, bad accident, they're going to report it on the news, but they're not going to report it about the 999 other cars that did just fine. Exactly. And everybody got I to know. work on time and all of that. So I thought that was a great <laughs> That's example. True. I actually know John Davis. He had a very profound NDE, I believe. I think it's the same John Davis you had on. I think oh, maybe. Maybe. He, uh, yeah, he's the, he's the one that did that, that – 
believes that he was an apostle with Jesus in a past life, and he was John the Beloved, and um, and it talks about that kind of thing. Oh, but cool. some of my favorite shows, and I don't watch the horror shows because I'm too visual. I remember those I pictures. I, I don't want that in my head. Oh, I know. I I loved Bewitched. Oh, that's funny. When I was a I child. <laughs> That was my favorite show. And I used to, as a child, think, I just want to grow up to be like Samantha Stevens. And now I can do all the stuff that she could do, number one. Number two, Tim, my husband and I have just been introduced to The Good Witch, which I think was on one of the networks and now it's on Netflix and it's really good. She's a, she's an intuitive and she, she's a healer and she's working with her, her neighbor who's a, sounds like he's a trauma surgeon and she's, he's, he, he and she are going back and forth, but he don't believe in the woo woo stuff, but she's ending up being right yes. all the time. So he's, it's starting to pique his interest. That's so he's starting good. To, yeah. I got to catch starting that. To I got I have to watch yeah, good that. Witch. I've heard some good reviews. There was a CSI type show. It wasn't CSI or it wasn't like law and order. It was a different one where the female and in, in, uh, detective was intuitive and at the end would see the spirit of someone that was murdered. I forget the name of it, uh, but it was really good. And it gives you that, it, it had that humanistic uh, feel to it at the end where she connected mm-hmm. with the, the departed and the departed was able to make peace and then go on. I forget the name of it. I think it was on the bio channel or something like that. Um, yeah. It might be on Netflix. Oh, Ghost I don't know. and what's the one with Bruce Willis and... Oh, and, Sixth Sense. Um, the sixth sense, sixth yeah. sense. Yes. and then preacher's wife mm-hmm. was really good and then the classic that everybody watches at christmas is a wonderful life oh of course yes you know that's that's one of the best there is yes for as far as movies go okay i love let's it let's talk about you talk about that there are certain cities that seem to be more haunted than others mm. and i've heard you reference new york city in particular and also savannah Tell us about that. Why do you say that? I, I think of Charleston. Charleston, too. too. I mean, there are many others. I mean, even San Diego. I mean, here it's my city here in San Diego, even. I, there's so many various explanations or potential explanations from uh, historical, the historical ties, you know, all of the layers of history and what happened there, the amount of people that reside in a certain location. Like, for example, San Diego with all of its different historical layers the Native American period, the uh, Mexican period, the Spanish period, you know, even all the way to, uh, this is a military city too. So we had work done in, you know, World War II and Civil War and all of that, or World War I, sorry, not that, uh, World War I and World War II. So looking at the historical layers, uh, again, other uh, influences are, okay, water, you know, water is a natural conductor of electricity. So places that are near a lot of water, even train tracks, um, the type of EMF. So is like in New York City. I mean, you have all, think of all the electricity in that place, all confined to such an area. Uh, ley lines even. And Southern California has many ley lines. So points of geographical... Explain what a ley line is. Yeah, so Explain it's, what a ley line is. In, in, in lay terms, no pun intended, right? It's, it's points of geographical interest that can make maps. So like from point A to point B, 
both point A and B are, are very significant historically or uh, even spiritually, and you draw a line between those two and then lines from those two to other points. And so there are points of geographical interest that are said to uh, help with spiritual manifestation or provide the foundation for paranormal types of activity. So if you look at a ley line map, you'll see in Southern California, I mean, there's numerous, numerous ley lines running throughout San Diego. Uh, even I think even New York City has a lot too. But Savannah, just with the history of Savannah, Georgia, I love Savannah. I, and I, di- I need to go to Charleston. When I was there, I couldn't oh. make it and I need to go. So the next time I'm going, I will go. But just all of the history there, I think is just... Charleston. We went there a lot when the kids were little mm. and we would meet my family from Ohio there oh. and they have these ghost tours there. Yes. And and this is 20 years ago, even longer. <laughs> they give these kids this little device that looked like a, a TV remote control. Yes, yeah. And they'd say, okay, if, if we're detecting paranormal activity, you know, they'd make the buzzer go off on this thing. And these little boys were just so excited. And they'd look at me and they'd say, are you seeing anything? Are you feeling anything? I said, oh, yeah, a lot. And they have this four corners where there's four churches yes. on the corners. And of course, they mm-hmm. all have really old cemeteries and stuff like that. So I always think of Charleston with uh, with the whole paranormal thing. Oh, absolutely. And then right, right here in Birmingham, there's a, a state park that's called Old Cahaba. And Ooh. it was the original state capital. And the foundations of the homes and the buildings are left. And I, I think it's 300 acres or something. Oh, my goodness. And I like to go down there in the spring because the bulbs that were planted... So this is pre-Civil War. The bulbs that were planted come up still in the spring wow. around the foundations of where the houses were and all of that from all of those years ago. But that place is supposed to be one of the most haunted places oh in my the goodness. country. I would love to visit and it one day just to so see come it. Down and, come down and see me and I'll take you down oh there. Oh my gosh. And that, yeah. that would be fun to see what was going on I think on the down South there. is very beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I it's do very, too. very beautiful. And I have family from uh, my 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 dad's mom was from uh, uh, Atlanta, Georgia. So I have some mm-hmm. Southern in my family. So yeah, and yeah. Then Italy. I'm a, I'm a I'm a Yankee. They asked me to make Yankee dressing at Thanksgiving. <laughs> Everybody makes cornbread dressing oh, down here, so and good. I make you know I make it out of breadcrumbs and the you know with the spices and stuff. Love and so it. They'll say, "Can Love you it. make some of that Yankee dressing?" That and sounds I'll good. Say, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was funny. A couple more questions. I could talk to you all oh, day, I know. but a Me couple too. more questions. Me too. You talk about the need to respect the dearly departed. Yes. Say a little bit about that. Basically, it's in that sentence. I think that, uh, you know, even when you're on an investigation or a case study, you're going to get more with that golden rule, the aspect of the golden rule. What you put out, you get back. Uh, but it's just, I'm not, you know, I don't do it because I know it's going to provide better results. I do it from my heart. I want to respect and revere these energies. And it's like you said earlier, you know, Someone may have been a a bad person in life. Maybe it was a murderer. They're not like that now. 
And so it's exactly what you said. And so it's something that we need to do more of. But as long as we have the Hollywoodized, you know, fear cells, I think that that kind of puts a, a wrench in it all. But uh, because people are now the ones, I'm going on a tangent here, but the people that are, are, are really out to communicate with the departed authentically, they really want to know, you know, what happens when the soul uh, leaves the body upon death and all of that. You're, that's a different psychological viewpoint versus those that are seeing a horror movie and want to go investigate because they just saw the horror movie and then the respect goes out the window. So it's just something that is vitally important. But then for me personally, it's it's just I, I, I couldn't do it any other way. So mm-hmm. can you share with us a, a case study or, or a personal experience that felt really profound to you? Perhaps you were able to get a lot of information to corroborate what you were feeling and thinking, and then you were able to validate that with historic documents or some other kind of research. Yeah, one that comes up for us is the Rancho Buena Vista Adobe. And so if you're in San Diego, if you're uh, familiar with North County, it's in Vista. So Vista sandwiched, of course, right between Oceanside to the west and San Marcos to the east, give or take. And uh, so we've been researching the adobe since about 2011. We've been the hosts of the Spirits of the Adobe Tours. Still on hiatus because of the pandemic. I need to talk with them. But uh, many years there we've spent just doing private. Uh, it's It's been one big case study for us privately, but we also do the tours. But we've taken some of the paranormal evidence. So there's a, a, a theory that during when electricity was installed in the adobe walls, sometime in the early 30s that uh but or i'm actually going forward here backtrack before electricity was installed uh it's rumored that someone placed remains of an individual in the adobe walls and so it was discovered when the electrician installed that electricity i believe in the late 20s early 30s they found skeletal remains of a man that is said to be juan gonzalez so Allie and I, uh, co-host of the tours, co-director of the team, we've worked together on at the Adobe many, many times. We went to the Huntington Library in San Marino, California. That is just mm-hmm. gorgeous. If you haven't been, please go. But it has uh, all kinds of research pertaining to uh, Cave Johnson Couts. He was one of the owners of the building. And we found out and were able to verify through electronic voice phenomena and ITC that there was an underground cellar on the property. So, and that's because we would get results of uh, that would suggest that some sort of underground cellar uh, besides even what the docents told us. And so we were there at the Huntington library doing all this research and we were able to corroborate that and, and other uh, historical points about the property. Another example and this isn't historical, this was a private residence and it was a woman that, uh, she lives in Fallbrook and her house had a large house and she rented it out as a, a nursing sort of home for, for people. So there were a couple ladies there, one in particular who lost her, her husband. And so the reason uh, the homeowner contacted us is because she had these IR security cameras, of course, and she started seeing these 
orbs on camera, which we obviously explained away as dust. But yet the woman who lost her, her husband was having experiences. So we went in, got to know her, got to know uh, a little bit about her experiences. And we did uh, a, a, a communication session overnight, different different types of EVP and even spirit box sessions. And we were able to apparently capture this woman's husband's voice, letting her know that she, that he loves her very much. So we captured that, let her hear it. And she literally started breaking down. She's like, that's him. No doubt. I recognize his voice. And so it's those types of studies or investigations that have meaning, not just going in and capturing evidence, but when you can really uh, help someone that is going through a grief or help them come into terms with what they're dealing with, those are the very meaningful types of projects that that we can work on. So, Well, it's almost like it's a, um, for lack of a better word, it's it's a mission Mm -hmm. for you to help comfort people. And it's something obviously that you're being led to do because you're not getting paid to do it, but it's something that you're, you're able to provide comfort for people. So God bless you for doing that work yes, and, it is and a helping calling. to comfort really, people. Sorry, my chair yeah. isn't that comfortable today. I keep moving. But yeah, it's, uh, it is a calling. It is a calling. And of course, yeah, you know, I charge I for tell. presentations and, and stuff like that, but just, uh, going in, speaking of investigations. Yeah. We don't usually charge for that, but, um, it, it is rewarding. Yeah. It really is intrinsically rewarding. So terrific. Question I ask everybody that's on the show, why do you think we incarnate? I th- I'm just going to answer this with, I think the human soul is on various missions and this life is the next mission. And when we go on and pass from this life, we'll go on to a next and until we reach our soul's ultimate purpose and, and mission. That's my concise answer on that. So... Great answer. How can people learn more about you and your work? Oh, sure. So I'm on I'm on social media, Facebook. I have different Facebook pages. Uh, my main one is at Nicole D. Strickland. And then uh, Twitter, I'm, I'm on Twitter. I don't use it a lot, though. But uh, our team's acronym, so uh, S-D-P-R-S, Nicole, that's the handle there. Instagram, author Nicole Strickland. And then my website's authornicolestrickland.com. San Diego Paranormal Research.com and then spiritedqueenmary.com because I do a lot of research on the Queen Mary and such. So, but we the, didn't even get to the Queen I Mary. Know, right? That's I, my second I, home. Oh my gosh. I love I've it. been on the Queen. Okay. Have you, you got another couple of minutes? You... Oh, multiple times. Okay. Yeah. The, the Queen Mary, you guys, for those of you that aren't aware, well, you explain it. It's in Long Beach, California, but oh, you explain. can if you want. Okay, well, the Queen Mary was an ocean liner that was one of kind of like the class of the Titanic and and all of that. Very opulent. People would travel it from usually England, I think, primarily to the U.S. And it would take weeks Mm -hmm. for them to cross. And so now it's been retired and it's in Long Beach Harbor, really. And so... 
talk about the Queen Mary just for just a few for minutes. A few I'm sorry minutes. to keep you long, but oh, no, yeah, no, we got to talk about the Queen Mary. Oh, absolutely. We could do a whole episode devoted to that if you want to. Um, it's up to you. But yeah, so the Queen Mary, again, it wasn't in my plans for this, but yet here we are. I was first introduced to the ship in the year 2000 in the backseat of a car on spring break. And I said to myself, oh, okay, I will be back here someday. That day came in 2005. Ever since then, it's hard to put this in words. I've written three books about the ship, which were sold aboard, by the way, as well as online. But I try to talk about this and, and get the point across in my books, but it's hard. The first time I stepped aboard, it was an instantaneous connection to the ship, a soul connection. I felt at home. I felt at peace. Everything felt familiar to me. So it's been suggested many times. I've even wondered this myself. Past life, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, I, I do feel like I do have one with the Titanic. So that's another story. But just anyways, ever since then, I've I've been very active in researching the the Queen Mary's history, very rich historical tapestry, as well as the paranormal phenomena. And the paranormal phenomena, and here's my, I'm trying to condense this, I believe the ship is sentient, and then she has her resident spirits. So there's this duality that plays between the ship being one giant spirit and then her her resident spirits and those that come through. A beautiful, beautiful spiritual phenomena there. Uh, it's just, a, it's an amazing location. And uh, it's been an ongoing case study for me for many years and just recently reopened in June. So if you haven't been, now's your time. So it's really lovely. I love it. Next time I'm in LA, I'll let you know. Maybe I can meet Please you there. Do. That would be fun. Yeah, we could get lunch oh, or something. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. And we could do that. Sounds that good. would be terrific. One of my favorite books is The Glass Ocean by Karen White. Oh, yeah. Have you read that? I have not. It's about the Lusitania. Oh, it's fabulous. She's been a guest on the show too, Karen White, who's a, she's a uh, historic novelist and she always has ghosts in her books or spirits or a combination of the two. And she's, she's really just such a delight. And I, that, I read that book twice. It, it is one of my all time favorite books and it's about the Lusitania. Uh, you know, the Lusitania the, has such a sad, sad, sad story. It's so right. sad. And that could be one of the reasons I haven't read it, but I've heard nothing but greatness with that book. So I should just read it. I need to read it. But yeah, what a sad Absolutely. story. Oh, so heartbreaking. Well, thank you again for taking the time to join us. What a fun, far-ranging conversation here that we're going to release on Halloween. And, uh, and what a fascinating woman you are. And Likewise. And continued success in all of your endeavors. I hope to stay in touch. Yes. And let's, let's see what we can do together. That would be a that fun, would be fun project. Yeah. yeah. I'm always... I would uh, love that. Yeah, I love collabing with, especially with people who have like-minded views and stuff. You know, it makes it easier. So yeah, let's do that. We should totally do exactly. that. Exactly. Okay. Awesome. All righty. Everybody, thanks for joining us. Sending you lots of love from Sweet Home, Alabama. Mwah! And from San Diego too, where Nicole is. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to follow Julie on Instagram and YouTube at Ask Julie Ryan. And like her on Facebook at Ask Julie Ryan. To schedule an appointment or submit a question, please visit AskJulieRyan.com.
This show is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be medical, psychological, financial, or legal advice. Please contact a licensed professional. The Ask Julie Ryan Show, Julie Ryan and all parties involved in producing, recording, and distributing it assume no responsibility for listeners' actions based on any information heard on this or any Ask Julie Ryan shows or podcasts.